Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to read one verse of scripture to you. It's uh, John chapter 10 and verse number 10. Thank you all for coming. And uh, I know there's people splashed all over the planet right now. But uh, to all of you that are here, the guests that are here, I, I, Pat McDuff's here somewhere. Where yet, Patricia? It's good to see you. Man, she, Pat, was a part of this church for many, many years. And it's glad to see you again tonight. God bless you. And uh, all of the wonderful people that watch us faithfully online all over the country, we're very grateful for that. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. My subject for you this evening is ignorant. Ignorant, okay? God bless you. You may be seated. It is very common to, uh, to look over your shoulder and reflect on your life as you get older. Today, I am 66. My dad told me one time that memories were like, uh, like coats, clothes. He said because clothes need closets. Some people can store their life in a very, very small closet. Me, I, I need a massive walk-in closet to hold all the memories that I have. Um, that amazing bundle of yesterdays that so far has been my life. I, I should have kept a journal and better notes of where I went and who I met and experiences that I shared with so many diverse people. And uh, I have to credit my dad for love of biographies. I was organizing my library at the house for the, I don't know, the umpteenth time. And it, it surprised me to realize how many biographies I had acquired through the years from prominent news journalists. The first guy that I got fascinated with was a man named Lowell Thomas. And um, I think I have every book that he ever wrote and uh, have spent a lot of time uh, doing my best to accumulate signed books by him. They aren't worth much money, but they're sentimental to me. Um, Lowell Thomas began his broadcast every, every night with, good evening, everybody. And at the end, so long until tomorrow. And both of those are titles of wonderful books. And uh, Lowell Thomas is probably most famous for making people aware of a man named T.E. Lawrence, who is basically known as Lawrence of Arabia. And um, if you've never seen the movie, um, highly recommend it. Just make sure you got a, a long, unfettered evening. Uh, it's over three hours. But uh, it's, uh, it's historically accurate. Uh, Lowell Thomas claimed to be spirit-filled. And uh, one of his last quotes before he died, he said, I'm looking forward to going to the New Jerusalem because I, I think I've been just about everywhere else. And uh, then I started reading books by a guy named Theodore White. 
and uh, um, White's book, In Search of History, is a classic. And uh, he has wonderful books about uh, John F. Kennedy and, and uh, White was credited with coining the phrase Camelot, but uh, that's not accurate. That, that, that phrase was coined by Kennedy's wife, Jacqueline, but she shared it with Teddy White and he pretty much put it on the map, but he didn't originate it. One of my favorite books is, is uh, a little known work by a long deceased newsman whose name is Harry Reasoner. And um, Harry called his biography Before the Colors Fade. And uh, that title is a very fitting description of where I am, trying to still remember and recall things before they get too foggy and too cloudy. I remember as a young preacher hearing elders talk about the men that they had known. My wife's grandfather attended Christ's temple in the 20s, which was pastored by what I think was one of the greatest men of all, a man named G.T. Haywood. Um, my brother-in-law has it. I've not been able to convince him to give it to me yet, but uh, he has a picture, a very famous conference in the 20s in Little Rock, Arkansas, attended by <clears throat> pastors, evangelists from all over the country. And um, if you ever see the picture, and hopefully I'll acquire it one day, there are hundreds and hundreds of preachers sitting on the grass in that photo. And right in the middle, on the front row, is G.T. Haywood. And immediately to his left is a very long lanky young preacher with a <clears throat> an unruly shock of black hair. Uh, it's my wife's grandfather, R.G. Cook. Um, I wish you could have known him. Um, he um, had a great friend by the name of L.R. Uten, a pastor from Illinois. Uten, Uten was a very famous preacher and um, a very famous songwriter. Um, probably the song that Uten is most known for is to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus on earth I long to be like him. Time will not permit me to record the elders that I wish I, I could have known and I could have heard. But as I begin the latter part of the sixth decade of my life, I find myself telling the same kind of stories that my elders did, but it's about the men I've known and the men that I heard. I was blessed right out of the gate to have an amazing father, a very righteous pastor by the name of Lewis Porter. Men like Floyd Reading, who invited me to speak at my first revival. I told him, Brother Reading, I've only got three sermons. He said, well, God will give you some more. And I ended up staying there for three months. <laughs> I ended up preaching for his pastor, a wonderful man named Frank Martin from Muncie, Indiana. I spent an entire year one time and never left the city limits of Indianapolis, just preached in churches in Indianapolis. 
One of the greatest Christians I ever met in my life was a man named Kenneth Prine who um, pastored a church in a very small little West Virginia, Harrisville, West Virginia. Floyd Reed or Kenneth Prine was, he was the first man that I ever saw split a church on purpose. Churches have split for a lot of reasons, but um, I saw Kenneth Prine split his church and give the, be- the better people, when I say better, I mean people with better jobs and more money. And, and he gave them to a man by the name of Frank Simons who started a church in Pennsboro, West Virginia. I just remember as a young preacher, I'd never seen anybody do that. But Kenneth Prine had a burden for the kingdom. and He was good to me. G.A. Mangan, Tom Fred Tenney, J.T. Pugh, David Gray from San Diego, James Kilgore, Hugh Rose, who was the announcer for Harvest Time and his boss, Nathaniel Urshan. I was fortunate not simply to hear these men speak, but I knew all of these men personally, and most of them I was very close to. And there are many others that are still living, but uh, that list is growing shorter every year. I tell people it's getting to the point where I got more friends on the other side now than I do here, so I'm looking forward to going, but not today. And uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but not right now. And uh, without question, one of the most colorful characters I ever met was a man named Charles Mahaney. I was in what was probably his first revival in Houston, Texas, when he came out of Kansas. Um, I, I regret not exposing this church to his very unique personality and ministry. Um, I was with him one time. I was a young evangelist. I wasn't married. <clears throat> I was sitting on a bench with him and he said, okay, grasshopper, this is your assignment. He said, I want you to get through this entire week at General Conference without paying for your dinner one time. That's your assignment. And uh, I remember sitting with him and another preacher was making fun of him. Charlie waited until he left and he turned to me and winked and he gave his one word description of that man. Ignorant. Ignorant. Webster defines ignorant as unschooled, untutored, lacking knowledge. When you go to the very beginning of the Bible, it really starts with knowledge. A lot of people call it the tree of good and evil. That's not exactly the way it reads. It says the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you can knock him all you want, but Satan is really good at what he does. And uh, knowledge, you know, that was his temptation. Sounds like a really good thing, doesn't it? But I'm here to tell you that there is some knowledge you don't want. Um, what does it feel like to be a murderer? I don't know. I don't ever want to know. I don't ever want to know. 
I read a book years ago called One Shot, One Kill. It's a story of um, gunnery sergeant Carlos Hathcock, also known as Whitefeather, the most famous sniper that's ever served in the United States military. That was his calling card. When he left what was called his hide, he left a little white feather just to let them know it was me. They put a bounty on his head, the equivalent of 50 life salaries, and uh, they never could get him. And as men, you know, we read and romanticize something like that and said, boy, I think I could have been a sniper. But if you listen to Hathcock, he tells about the one thing that only a sniper ever really gets to see, the eyes of the person you're about to shoot with a pair of crosshairs on his head. He said the only way he could bring himself to shoot another person is he knew he was saving the lives of his fellow soldiers. And he shot some really, really bad people in his career. But he admitted at the end to being tormented with terrible dreams that still haunted him, seeing those faces in that reticle of that scope. And he said, the good Lord didn't wire anybody up to take somebody else's life. The list is long of things you and I don't ever want to experience. This is the description that was given by Dr. Luke of his fellow apostles. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. They'd been with Jesus. These were not schooled men in the classic sense. They were untutored. Most of them, I'm sure, had gone to work at a very young age. Having a master's degree wasn't on the radar. And uh, having a bachelor's wasn't a priority. But if you're just a cursory student of the Bible, that word ignorant pops up again and again and again. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul was giving instruction. And one of the things they were struggling with is they were getting distracted with phonies and fake preachers. This is what Paul said to them. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, (coughs) let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. This is what the message says. If any one of you thinks God has something for you to say or has inspired you to do something, then you need to pay close attention to what I've written. This is the way the master wants it. And if you won't play by these rules, God can't use you. Sorry. Both Peter and Paul wrote to tutor and help the early church understand. Because I guess when you really look at it, the base of the word ignorant is simply ignore. 
Here's something that Paul said in Corinthians 10. I don't, you should not be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You don't want to ignore the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying every one of these elders of ours had something in common. They, they, they were full of the lamb. They passed through the sea. They were led by the spirit. And Paul was reminding them and us because it says everything that happened to them wasn't for them, it was for us. He was reminding them that we need to begin our journey with the death of the lamb and go through the water or the waters of baptism and be so filled with the spirit that it guides our every step. And after being born again, let's face it, a lot of your life's gonna be spent in church. So Paul gave us some rules to live by so that church, especially the church service, doesn't become a place of confusion. In Corinthians 12 and one, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. He explained in another place how death could not subtract you from the role of the church. If you lived in faith and died in faith, <clears throat> death did not separate you from the church. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. People were legitimately trying to comfort us when daddy passed. I'm sorry you lost your dad. I didn't correct them because I knew they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. The only way you can lose something is if you don't know where it is. Because <clears throat> I'm not ignorant of where my sleeping father is. And I've tried, but still don't think I grasp the greatness of this verse. Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. <laughs> it's like God can compress time. He can turn a thousand years into 24 hours and he can take one day and they asked Einstein one time to define relativity and he said, well, he said, uh, when you're talking to the girl that you love, hours just seem like moments. But he said, when you sit down on a hot stove, those moments can seem like an eternity. I was talking to a very dear friend of mine recently named Edwin Harper. We were talking about these men in the Old Testament. Listen to these verses. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years. And he died. Here's Genesis 5 and 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. Wow. They say that we use 
maybe 10% of our brain in our lifetime. So then how much of it can you use if you live to be 900 years? Bible said there were men of renown. These weren't a bunch of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. These people were brilliant. And if you're familiar with the book of Genesis and the genealogies, I didn't realize it, but Adam, probably the second oldest man in the Bible, 930 years, which means Adam was alive when Noah's daddy was on the earth to where Lamech could tell his boy, I knew a man that didn't have a belly button. (laughs) There are some things you can be ignorant of. There are some things we need to be sure that we're ignorant of. But there are other things we can't afford to be ignorant of. Paul said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This is what the NIV says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. If you're a student of the Civil War, you know that Robert E. Lee won everything for the first two and a half years. Manassas, Second Battle of Bull Run, Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville. For two years, he drove Abraham Lincoln crazy. Lincoln had a guy named George McClellan who was over his army and all he did was parade them back and forth. Lincoln famously told McClellan one time, if you're not using the army this weekend, I'd like to borrow it. When Lincoln fired McClellan and hired Ulysses Grant, McClellan, who had presidential aspirations of his own, told everybody, he's a drunk, to which Lincoln famously replied, if I could find what brand of whiskey he drinks, I'd give a barrel of it to all of you. Lee was undermanned, undergunned. He didn't have the powerful factories of the industrial north but he was an amazing tactician and was surrounded with great generals. The story goes that on September 9th, 1862, you're right at the beginning of the third year of the Civil War, a young corporal by the name of Barton Mitchell was walking on the top of a hill that was recently deserted by the Confederate troops and he saw something that distracted him. It was a very new envelope and when Mitchell opened it, he found that there were three perfect cigars in it and wrapped around those three cigars were two pages of very explicit orders and instructions. It's known as Special Order 191. In other places I found it's known as the Lost Dispatch. Because what Mitchell had found was Lee's explicit 
private orders to his great generals Longstreet and Stonewall Jackson. Described in great detail how Lee was going to split his forces. Longstreet would go to the left. Jackson would go to the right. The goal was Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, where the Union armory was, where they kept most of their guns. When Mitchell realized what he had and passed it up through the chain of command, it was a turning port in the war because they knew, they knew what the enemy was going to do. When you read Winston Churchill's journals, Churchill admitted there was only one thing through the second war that ever scared him, submarines. They didn't know how in the world because everything that came to England was England's an island and so everything's got to come by ship and these U-boats, these submarines are sinking hundreds of thousands of tons every month. But there's a famous place I'd like to go there one day. It's called Bletchley Park. Bletchley Park is probably the birthplace of what we would call the first computer. Because the Germans had something called an Enigma machine. And the possibilities were over 800 million. It was just, they, they were totally convinced nobody could crack it. But a man named Andrew Turing cracked it. And he knew what they were going to do. And it's how they knew where the U-boats were going to be that night. And how they could sink them and how they could end it up. It was only probably 15 years ago that they ever even released the secret of Bletchley Park. And what they had cracked over 60 years before at the, in the middle of the Second War. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we, like the lowly corporate Mitchell, have been given the master plan of the enemy. We know what he wants to do. First, he's going to steal it. And then once he steals it, he's going to kill it. And then when he kills it, He's going to destroy it, which every other translation says he's going to dismember it. You can be ignorant of a lot of stuff, ladies and gentlemen, but you better not be ignorant of this one. Amen. I was talking with Brother Thompson and his sweetheart. They, like how many others since we started the campaign, got a new house. We rejoice with them. They'll move into it in a couple weeks and Grateful, new babies, new, great story. <laughs> it's just, I was talking to him about interest rates and they're, they're, they're pretty high, you know, six, 7% now. I, I remember in the 80s when Jimmy Carter said, the day of single digit interest rates is gone forever. It'll never come back. So even though new homeowners complain about 6%, trust me, that's still pretty cheap money compared to what it was in the 80s when they were paying 18, 19, 20%. When we invested the money that we received from the sale of the old church building, I invested it in commercial paper. 
We got 19% interest for three years. And it was like the goose that kept laying the golden eggs, man. It was beautiful. Somewhere in that mortgage, Chad, the day of shaking hands is over. You're going to have a stack of papers that thick when you leave that closing. But somewhere in that thousands of words, there's going to be something kind of like this. Your payment is due on the first of the month. You'll have 15 days of grace. But if you fail to make that payment two weeks within the accepted time, you are in arrears. And if you do that for three times, we're going to take your house. You say, it's my house. Not really. It's really the bank's. And you're trying to pay them people off. Let me tell you about Satan. Unlike a mortgage, which in very fine print says, I'm going to take your house. Sin says, I'm going to kill you. Big letters. I don't know what font size that is, but there's an enemy out there that he's after you and he's after me. And there are better preachers than I will ever be that are in hell right now. And there are greater saints than you have been that are lost and are in hell right now because they missed the point. They were ignorant. It's just, there's an enemy. Now, I've always tried to be a guy of restoration and restitution. And, and how many times through the years have I reminded you of that verse in Hosea that says, if all you have is a piece of an ear or a tail, I can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I've seen the Lord do that, but not all the time. Last Sunday, there was someone here as a friend. My mom stayed close to these fellows. She said, where's he at? And he just said, uh, Sister Esther, uh, he's on drugs again. My mom went home that day, just stole her joy. I went down to her apartment that night. She wasn't sleeping. She was laying on the floor in her living room, just interceding for that boy. I brought her to prayer meeting the next night. I watched her heavy. I've seen people play games. I've seen people just take for granted But he says, my spirit won't always strive with you. It's just if you you have a desire in your heart to serve the Lord, let me explain to you, that didn't come from you. Nobody comes to me unless my spirit is drawing them. You want to treasure that. You, 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 you. You want to put the value that <laughs> I've said it for years. I want this to be a church where it's okay if you're not okay, but not forever. I don't want to be a pastor in a church. We just look the other way, but all we're asking for is honesty. Do you want to grow? Do you want to beat it? Do you want to make heaven? Do you want to be in the new Jerusalem? Do you want to be a weapon in the hands of the Lord right now. You can't be. Because there are people much worse than I have ever been that have been mightily used by God. 
And there are people far worse than you have ever been that God has used to his credit and to his glory. But I just, I, I, I've seen it happen. It, I promise you, those people have, who have been divorced would be the first one to tell you about the horrors of divorce. Yeah, I got rid of that woman. Yeah, I got rid of that man. Yep, you did, but you know as well as I do, you get rid of that problem, but it creates an entire list of new problems that you have to deal with. That's why God, he hates it. No one that I've ever talked to that's been to prison romanticizes that experience. To you young people that are here, serve him while you're young. Make the consecration now. Don't be stupid. Don't be ignorant. Don't just think, I could just, like Samson, Bible said he, he got up and he, he shook himself as before. <laughs> he knew how to do the shake, but God wasn't on him. You know what Samson said to Delilah? If you cut off my covenant, I'll be just like everybody else. Everybody else wasn't blind. Everybody else wasn't grinding grain into some mill like some beast of burden. He just thought the worst thing that could ever happen to him if he didn't serve the Lord is he just be like everybody else. But it doesn't work that way. You've been given a pearl of great price. You've been given a treasure. You've been blessed with understanding and knowledge and revelation and insight. Listen to this old man preaching to you right now. Serve the Lord with faithfulness. If you fall, get up. Get up. Greatness is not in never falling. Greatness is getting up after you fall. Stand with me. This is the 4th of July. This is the week we celebrate our independence. But I'm telling you, behind all the fireworks and the food trucks and the barbecues, there's a massive, horrible tale of what it takes to break away from a king that's a despot that wants to stomp and squelch and stifle and steal any possible hope that you could ever have of being free from his, his control. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant of his devices. I saw a young man not long ago walk away from a girl. She was pretty. She was easy on the eyes. I saw that young man make a, a consecration. I wrote him a text and I said, my brother, sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same thing. And I know this was a tough choice, but you made the right choice. You made the right choice. See, if you're looking for a spouse, let me tell you what the enemy will do. He'll give you somebody that's almost perfect. Almost perfect. They may be easy on the eyes. They may have come from a wealthy family. I don't know. Just one little fly in the ointment. They're really not serious about serving the Lord. You know, all that'll come with time.
I've seen girls, you know, I can't help it, Pastor. I like the bad boys. Because I can change him. And I've seen it happen how many times through the years? After a while, that bad boy says, You remind me of my mother. <laughs> Come with me around this altar. This is a day when we celebrate independence from England. But every day ought to be a day when we celebrate our independence from the enemy of our soul. He wants to do everything he possibly can to keep you from understanding the value of the gospel, the value of having church. You know, there's a verse that said, his ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. But let me, let me quote to you what Paul said in the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So don't buy into that thing that you can't ever figure it out. You can if you'll consecrate. We serve a speaking God. In the beginning was the word. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you right now. What are, what are you talking about? Whatever it is the Lord's laying on your spirit right now. Right, right now while I'm talking. Is there something you need to get right? Is there a relationship you need to repair? Maybe you just need to take the lower. See, somebody's going to have to be the bigger soul here. The Bible said if somebody offends you, go to them. The Bible said if you offend somebody, go to them. It's not the same thing. One is you were the one that got offended. <clears throat> Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. Or if you were the one that offended somebody, you go to them. Just fix it. Don't let them funnies exist between brothers and sisters. L.R. Uton famously said years ago, if we're going to preach oneness, then it's expedient of all of us to practice it as well. Amen. And we guard the oneness and the harmony and unity. We're two years, year and a half into this thing. You want to be around when we dedicate that thing. You want to help us fill that thing up. We're going to make a mark on this generation, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to make a mark on this generation. God's going to use this church. It's not original with me. I, I don't know. It was Pastor John, one of them. He said, we want a global footprint. And I just said, yeah, I like that. The Bible said, wherever the sole of your foot would walk, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Put your hand on someone by you right now. Pray for them. Not for you. Pray for them. All right? Lord Jesus, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister right now. I, I, I just assume I know these people really well, but <laughs> truth is, I don't even know myself. Your Bible, your word says my heart is wicked above all things. I don't even know. I don't even know. So I, I don't really know myself, much less completely know the person I'm praying for right now. But I'm praying to the one that does know. There are no secrets in you. There, 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 there's no question mark. You don't second guess yourself. You know us, Lord. You know what we're capable of. <laughs> Good and bad. You, 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 you know that. And I pray for my brother and sister right now. I don't know what they're up against. I'm just assuming that they found their way to your house here tonight because their steps were ordered. So I pray for them right now. Oh God, oh God not be ignorant of the devices 
the, 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 the strategies, the wiles of the enemy, the snare of the fowler. I'm praying God right now. I'm preaching to somebody right now, considering making a dumb move. And they know in their heart that they're going to manually override their spirit. But I stand by them right now because you said one puts a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. And so there are ten thousand things that my brother and I can overcome together. My sister and I can overwhelm together. So I pray with them and I stand by them right now. In the name of Jesus. I pray for their family. I pray for their I pray for their children. I pray for their grandchildren. I pray for their mind. You said we've not been given the spirit of fear, but of love and then a sound mind. And before we ever get a sound mind, we're gonna to have to have the revelation of that you love me and you shed your blood for me. You're dealing and wooing and attracting with us right now. So, Father, your word says you love them to the end. You didn't want to lose a one of them. I don't want to lose a one of them. We got all these babies in this nursery. I don't want to lose a one of them. All these toddlers, all these children, this magnificent youth group, these young married couples, the gray hair that's in this church the bifocals, the trifocals. Thank you for the walkers and the canes. Thank you, Lord, for the halted gate, the people that don't walk nearly as quickly. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have the life of young people and the strength of elders. And I'm believing you, God, that you've got your hand on this church and you're guiding us and directing us. And right now, it's gonna be so critical while we're right in the middle of this thing, Lord, that we don't lose our way, that we don't get ignorant what card he's going to play next. I want to sit at the table and play cards with the enemy and say, I know what you're going to throw next. I know what you're going to do with me tomorrow. I know what you're going to try and bring into my life. I know my weaknesses. I know the chinks in my armor. I know what the enemy's going to try and destroy me with. But with the grace of God on my heart and a prayer of consecration in my spirit, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. Praise God. I'd like young people to pray for someone else right now. I'd like you to pray for somebody older than you are. We're always praying for you, and we'll continue to do that. But I want you to understand.